Morning, everybody. Good to see everybody again. Um, I, I've had a handout that I gave y'all before we uh, last time before we had the week off, and it's got a little chart on it that looks like this on the back. If you have that, I ask you to stick it in your Bible and bring it back. If not, I've got some on the table in the back back there. If you need one, uh, there's a stack of them there. If anybody needs anybody uh, any of those, we can we can pass those around. Here, here they come. Uh, <clears throat> We have been talking about worldview, some issues of worldview, and um, this morning, uh, if you'll open up to John chapter 12, I want to start there, and um, I want to read a a short little snippet here that sets us up for some things we're going to talk about. I'll let those get around, and then then we'll look at it. John chapter 12, you open up your Bibles there. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, what I'm about to read, I, I, I went back and forth on, is this what I want to read this morning? This is going to open a whole can of worms that we're not even going to begin to get into. So just, you know, you're going to have like a thousand questions, baby. And I'm going to say, I don't, that's no, uh, uh, we're not going to answer all of them. But I, I think this is a, a very illuminating passage and it touches on some things that we're going to talk about today. So John chapter 12, looks like everybody's got one. John chapter 12, I want to start right in the middle of verse 36, at least the way uh, my, my Bible is laid out here. This is one of those unfortunate places where the uh, verses divide things in kind of a strange place grammatically. Uh, Jesus, has just, um, Jesus has just finished teaching on and praying about the fact that, that He is going to be uh, lifted up. The time for the Son of Man, uh, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And He, he talks about His death. And um, uh, a really important thing, uh, verse 1227, if you look there first, this, this will be familiar to you. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. So we know what we're talking about here. We're coming up to the crucifixion, um, his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, everything that, that goes into that. And of course, the resurrection and ascension that will follow. But this is primarily focused on him, him being crucified. Uh, so verse, 48, uh, verse 28, he prays, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Verse 29, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Another said, an angel has spoken to him. And then verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? <laughs> so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. So kind of a, a familiar episode leading up to the days right before Jesus uh, is crucified and he's talking about the ramifications of that. Now, the thing I want you to see uh, picks up right there in the middle of verse 36. This is an interesting passage. Uh, 
It says, Now when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Now, look at that one more time. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Right? Uh, I've been teaching through Luke this year, and, and in Luke specifically, John, John too, as y'all know, John structures his whole gospel around these works and teachings that Jesus does that give signs to give evidence that he is who he claims to be. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, right? In Luke, Luke is very pronounced and makes it um, very specific and upfront about uh, when Jesus teaches, he teaches the Word of God. When he speaks, it's God's Word to the people. And he's very clear that when Jesus performs all of his miracles, his miracles, healings, they give evidence as to who he is, right? So he's been preaching and teaching in Galilee and he, he uh, heads south toward Jerusalem. And as he's going, he performs a series of miracles. And in that context, the people say, well, we're really not sure who you are. Can you give us a sign from heaven? This is after he's raised two people from the dead. <laughs> what more do you need, right? <laughs> what have, the, 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 the lepers have been cleansed, right? The blind have received sight. He's done incredible things nobody's ever seen before, ever. And yet, well, we'd still like to have a sign from heaven, right? John, John, right there. Though he had performed many things. And by the way, y'all, we're in chapter 12. Y'all know what happened in chapter 11, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead. Again, all, all these signs point to the reality of who Jesus is. And yet the people won't believe him. In verse 38, here's what is going on. Now this happened so that the word might, of, of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, Therefore, uh, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, verse 40, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, there's a lot going on there, and we're not going to get focused on that. Um, because the important thing, or the significant thing I want to focus on comes in these last couple of verses here. Verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his, Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. Now look at 42 and 43, and really let this sink into your mind. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. How many of you paid really paid attention to that before? Right? Here are people, they believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they're not going to throw in their lot with him. Right? They be, now what was that saying? They know what is true. You follow me? They know what is true, but they're not going to act according to that truth. Let me suggest that there are far more people caught in that trap than they might be aware of. And the reason I say that is we're, we're, we're talking about worldview. And as I've taught this worldview uh, material over the years in many different formats and whatnot, one of, the, one of the startling things that always happens is I'll have um, at least one person like every other year say, you know, I've been in church all my life and I don't know that I have a Bible-based, Christ-focused worldview. 
I, I, I've said I believe these things, but I don't know if I'm actually living these things out. Right? And it's a startling revelation. I'm like, hey, boy, this, hey, now you got a whole new day, right? You can see clearly. I was, I was teaching through the whole Bible in 2005. I'll never forget this. It's one of the best responses I've ever had to anything I've ever taught. I was teaching through the whole Bible, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And at the end, we were at the end of, of Revelation, and I would take the different snippets to talk about uh, you know, different aspects that need to be developed. And so at the end of Revelation, we talked about the judgment to come. And uh, I just made an offhand judgment about everybody, you know, Paul's statement. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give and be recompensed for what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. And we were kind of going into that. And there was a guy that had come to that class. He sat right on the front row over here. He was probably in his late 70s at this point. And as I'd gotten to know him, he had grown up in the church all of his life, you know. But he had grown up in a denomination where they didn't do a lot of Bible teaching, right? He said, in fact, he told me, he said, I grew up in one of those churches where the guy gets up every Sunday morning, reads uh, two verses um, out of the Bible, and then just says whatever comes to his mind at that point. Right? And you all know what we're talking about, right? Just wasting everybody's time. <laughs> so he had never really been through the Scriptures. And so, and he just took notes furiously. Man, he was writing down everything. And I thought, you know, this is really not that good. You might want to listen to somebody else. Where he, but he was, man, he was writing down notes furiously. And so when we got into the judgment, and I said we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he, he, he looked stunned and his hand immediately went up. And he said, well, wait a minute, that's not true of believers, Right? We don't have to be judged, do we? And I said, well, yeah, we are. The Scriptures are very clear on that. So I took him through the passages uh, that relate to the you know, judgment of the believer and our hope in Christ and forgiveness and all those great things and re- rewards and faithfulness and all that. And <laughs> the whole time I was talking, he was just sitting there, just dumbfounded, couldn't write or anything. And when I got through, he said, well, that changes everything. <laughs> guy's alive now right i said brother tomorrow morning you're going to see in color right for the first time everything's going to fit into place it's going to make sense for you and so one of the one of the things that i love about going through worldview is that it that it it provides a framework for us to really make sure that we're thinking about what we're thinking about correctly right and making sure that what we say we believe are things that we actually put into practice because you can say you believe all kind of things, but until you start to practice those things in light of that truth, you know, Scripture is very clear on this, uh, that we not only need to believe, but we also need to practice the things that are in line with our belief. And so here you have these, uh, you have these leaders that they believe Jesus is the Messiah, but because of their fear of the Pharisees, they won't confess him publicly, right? They won't put in their lot with Jesus. And so, um, and, and that devastating thing that John says there, they love the glory of men rather than the glory of God. Think about how many people are trapped in that. Doing what they're doing because they're more worried about what people will think of them rather than what the Lord God will think of them, right? A uh, lot of stuff going on there. Now, this is what I want to talk about today. The last time we were together on the handout that you have there, we, we talked a little bit more about truth and reality. And I want to start on the page that has the, the writing on it. At the very top, I had a quote from Dallas Willard, Truth reveals reality, and reality can be described as what we humans run into when we are wrong, a collision in which we always lose. Uh, so we, we started talking about truth, 
and how that relates to reality. And so I've got three things there about reality. Reality is objective in essence, right? There is a reality, uh, and it's not defined by our viewpoint, right? Reality is reality independent of what I think about it or even the way I perceive it. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. That leads into the second, um, second thing there. Reality is subjective in apprehension. You and I have to filter reality through the different lenses and mental filters that shapes the way we see everything. And then finally, the third thing, reality can be meaningfully comprehended and communicated in human language. Now, the, the reason that I, that I put this out last time we were together is, y'all know, we are living in a culture now which is denying all three of those things. That reality is not objective. Reality can be defined from the perspective and viewpoint of the individual. Right? And if you don't understand that, and then what's happening in our culture and society is not going to make any sense to you. It's going to seem like everybody's lost their mind because they have lost their mind. To deny reality in and of itself is to deny even the possibility of knowing and talking about anything, right? Uh, And so here, they do affirm that reality is subjective in apprehension, but really what they turn it into is I get to make reality into whatever I want it to be, right? That's that's kind of where our our culture is right now. Everybody's living in their own reality. And we, we heard this starting in the late 50s, early 60s. What may be true for you may not be true for me. Right? Well, that's not truth. <laughs> truth defines what's really real. And what's really real has to be the same for everybody in order for it to be reality. Right? Um, and, 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 you know, uh, let me just say that um, one of the great confirmations for me is as you look at the teachings of Jesus, he teaches on this basis that things are real. Right? When he raises Lazarus from the dead, he isn't saying, well, that didn't really happen. Y'all just thought that that happened. Right? Somehow I've tricked you. Somehow I've... No, he's saying that Lazarus really came back from the dead. Right? Uh, and there's a reality there. When Jesus is raised from the dead, there's a reality there. That actually happened. As some of you may have um, uh, listened to Francis Schaeffer. One of Francis Schaeffer's big things that he says over and over again is that the resurrection happens in time and space. It's a reality that happened. And the whole Bible is based on that. When we begin in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. We think that's a statement about reality, not some mythology that was made up that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Right? Now, again, our culture is denying all of that. And so truth is being undermined in, in one way or another. Uh, and so what I want to do today, just, just kind of quickly. Yeah, there. Like our culture. Yeah. What do you mean by culture? Well, that's exactly what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> yeah. It's a planned segment. That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, tr- always trying to get the right question out of me. <laughs> that was the right question. Uh, so yeah, so on the chart on the back, this one, it looks like that. Yes, th- Larry, thank you. That was a great segue. What do we mean by culture? What do we mean by all these things? And so I've, I've got this framed in the context of uh, how do we know what we think we know? Now, there's a lot of long discussion uh, in philosophy, and um, if you remember any of that from college, epistemology and ontology and all those kind of things. But, but today I just want to break it down uh, kind of more on the experiential level. And I want us to think about where we are, uh, where these people would have been during Jesus' day, and, and think about the whole process that gets us 
to where we are in our thinking and how our thoughts are formed. So on that chart, you can see I've got a lot of words there. And I want to start right in the middle with personal experience, right? You see personal experience there. Each and every one of us has our own personal experience of the world. And it's uniquely different for everybody, right? Now, we are sharing experience right here. But my experience of what's going on up here speaking is very different from you sitting there listening to the words, right? So we're sharing an experience, but it's different on the individual level. I have a different mother and father than y'all do, right? And I'm pretty sure I'm an only child. I don't think I am. Uh, I've got an entirely different life story than y'all do, any of us. And every one of those stories are unique. Nobody has the exact same life story, right? Have you ever thought about that before? Uh, this is one of the great things that I think about um, where, where Peter's talking about the gifts and uh, the spiritual gifts that he's given. And he says about the gifts that they've been given to show the multifaceted grace of God. Right? That's what each and every one of our stories have been created to be. Right? We are each just a, a facet one day and right now as it's being unfolded on the facet of how incredibly wise and awesome and gracious the one true God is. And that's why we're here. And our story is going to illustrate that one day. Right? And all we're going to do for eternity, we're never going to get tired of hearing everybody's story of, hey, how did you get here? Right? And mine's going to, and when everybody hears mine, they're going to be like, wow, I can't believe you actually made it here. Right? <laughs> um, but it, it brings praise to the glory of God. So, so we have our personal experience and that's all different. How did we get there? Well, first of all, we, we, we all have a tradition that comes out of the past, right? And, and tradition are the values and, and the mindset and the ideas that have been passed down from the past, right? Values, mindset, ideas that have been passed down to us from the past. And we're all born into that. We're all born into a family tradition, right? So that makes us different as well. Now, the, the thing about tradition is, is that it, it gives us stability, right? There are some things that are passed on to, 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 from tradition that are important and valid and, and keep the foundation in place for us. So tradition has a very powerful role and a very important role in shaping the way we think about the world. But here's the thing. Just like with culture, we're going to talk about in a minute, tradition is not always right, right? And, and we see this really illustrated when you get into the Gospels, particularly you read through the Gospel of John and the Pharisees reject Jesus. And they reject Jesus, and he says it a couple of times, because of their own traditions. They had studied the Bible. They were the ones who wrote the commentaries, right? And as they had looked through the Hebrew Scriptures, they were looking for the Messiah, right? And they had put together the picture of this is what the Messiah is going to look like. In fact, uh, some of you may know the name Arnold Fruchtenbaum. Arnold Fruchtenbaum is a Messianic Jewish believer, written just an incredible amount of material. But Arnold uh, teaches on what he calls the three Messianic miracles. And based on the rabbinical writings from around the time of Jesus, it seems to be that the scribes and the Pharisees had already said that when the Messiah comes, we're going to be able to recognize him because he's going to be do, he will do three miracles that nobody had ever done before. He's going to heal a Jewish leper, There had been Gentile lepers healed in the Old Testament, but no Jewish leper had ever been been healed. He's going to heal a Jewish leper. He's going to heal a man who's born blind, right? 
Uh, and he's going to heal a person who has a demon that's mute. Because the Pharisees, as they cast out demons and whatnot, they had a long uh, a liturgical process that they went through, and that included you had to have the name of the demon in order to cast the thing out. And if you couldn't get the name of the demon, then you couldn't exercise power over the demon. So they realized that the Messiah will have the power and the authority to cast out demons, not even knowing the demon's name. How many times does Jesus do that in the Gospels? All over the place, right? Uh, all over the place. Where does Jesus cleanse a leper? It's one of his first miracles, right? <laughs> Where does Jesus heal a man born blind? Right here in John, just earlier in a chapter, right? And everybody's amazed. What in the world's going on? And then what else does he do? Well, he gives sight to the blind, the arrest of the blind, the lame walk. He heals people who are paralyzed, and he raises people from the dead. Not only does he do what the Pharisees were expecting, he goes over and above, and what do they say? You're not the one. You're not the one. See, their tradition had also shaped that the Messiah was going to be a great military leader, and we see this in this passage we just read. Wait a minute. When the, how, Jesus, how can you talk about dying when we know that when the Messiah comes, He's going to be with us forever? And this is what they couldn't see. They couldn't see that in the Hebrew Scriptures, in between the Messiah coming and suffering for His people, there's at least a 2,000-year gap before He comes to reign in glory. They didn't see that clearly, right? But their, their tradition had led them astray. And so even though tradition can give us the foundation, and, and let me just say this, y'all know that in the book of Acts, many of the Pharisees became believers after the resurrection. Everybody forgets that. You know, we only think about the Pharisees as being the bad guys, and on some level they are. But many of them became believers after the resurrection. Uh, so here... They, you know, they come out of their tradition and they change because now they've got another piece of their experience that is, that's changed their perception. And I'll talk about that one in just a minute. Uh, so tradition provides an important foundation, but it's not always right. There's a, there's a story that circulates in my family, and I've heard other people tell a similar story like this. Um, so, you know, you may have heard something like this. Basically, um, it's uh, mama's in the kitchen cooking ham, and daughter comes in and says, hey, mama, let me have you cook the ham. So they start cooking them. And she cuts the end off of the ham. And the daughter says, mama, why do we cut the end off the ham? And she says, I, you know, I don't know. That's what my mom always did. So she calls grandmother and says, grandma, why do we always cut the end off of the ham when we cut it? And grandmother says, well, we never had a pot big enough to put the whole ham in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the critical question for tradition is, why do we believe these things? Right? That, that, in fact, that's always the critical question. Why do we say these believe, we, that we believe these things? And we see that in the book of Acts as the disciples are out teaching the gospel and they come to the Bereans, right? And when they hear the word about Jesus, what do they do? They go to the Scriptures to find out if these things are so. So we want to know the, the why on that. Is this, is this right? Uh, is this in line with Scripture and so forth? So tradition is very powerful, but it's not always right. And it's an, it's an incredibly powerful uh, force in shaping the way we view the world. Now, as we have our experience of that, and as we're processing through it, uh, culture comes in, right? And this is Larry's question, what is culture? And culture is just the uh, predominant beliefs and views and mindsets and values that are held at a particular point in time, right? And, And culture changes very, very rapidly. And the more technologically advanced we get, the more rapidly culture changes, right? Because we can disseminate ideas and information 
much more quickly than we could in the past. That's why, uh, you know, those of us in our age bracket here in this class, the last five years seem like we've had a culture change almost every year in succession, one thing after another. How does it happen so quickly? Well, the proliferation of technology and the proliferation of able to get ideas and information and images out far more quickly than we ever could before. And then it's really sobering when you realize about 90% of those images and information that's coming to us on our phone is being written by a piece of code somewhere more likely in Russia or in Eastern Europe, right? Uh, I saw a study last year that 9 out of 10, now get, listen to me, 9 out of 10 articles that Christians, right, that Christians had reposted on Facebook or you know, some social media site were fake news stories that had been generated by bots, by algorithms working to generate content that looks true, but it's not entirely true, right? So now we get to this issue of how do we even recognize truth, right? Because our culture is changing so rapidly. And now it's being, this is, y'all, if y'all have been keeping up with what's going on with AI recently, that, that is one of the most terrifying things that's happening in our time. We are, we are at a point where artificial intelligence is producing things that's very difficult to discern whether or not it was made by a human or not. We're talking about text, we're talking about art, we're talking about all these things. Uh, Elon Musk, you know, nut, oh Lord, crazy. This is, I mean, guy's brilliant, genius. He's been warning people about this forever. That once AI is released, you're not going to be able to put it back in the bottle technologically. And we can't think fast enough to be on top of things, right? Have you seen Dolly? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's mind-blowing. It is. Yeah. It, it's it yeah. And it creates authentic things that are not. Yes. Yeah. You can't like, yeah. look up phrases from it and find it somewhere. That's right. Yeah. My, my, daughter, uh, my daughter is at U of M, and uh, they had an article. Uh, she showed me an article. I can't remember what they looked at this in. But they're not, one of the major problems at colleges and universities is kids can have these papers generated, and there's no way to tell the difference between a paper that's been generated by an AI versus, you know. Y'all, this is, that's, that, that, is, that is science fiction on a level that I couldn't even think about when I was, you know. When, when I was growing up, all we had was the original Star Trek, you know. And the coolest thing in the world was when they would take out his communicator and flip it over, you know, talk to the spaceship going around. What you're carrying in your pocket is like a hundred times more advanced than anything they could think of in the late 60s to be science fiction, right? That, that's culture. Right? That's culture shaping our views on the world. Uh, it's the values, it's the ideas, it's the images that, that, that shape the way we think about, about the world in a particular given time. Now, uh, in, uh, uh, again, culture. Culture is important because it moves things along. One of the functions of culture is to ask that question, why? Why do we believe the things that we believe? And hopefully, now here's the kicker though, hopefully we're, we're tuned in to some ultimate truth source that can give us direction. And that's why at the very top of that page, I've got the other big deal, revelation, right? God speaks from above. And notice I've got the arrows going down into tradition, into my personal experience, into culture. Um... And this is something that we talked about in the first class. The idea that as we're in the middle of all this, as we're going through life in a tradition and culture is swirling around us, 
and we're hearing all these ideas and images and teachings coming from all these different places, how do we figure out what's right and true? How do we make sense of the world? And for me, that revelation part is a big part of it, right? Because we, I believe, and I know a lot of y'all believe, that when we open the Scriptures, that is the Word of God to us, right? The Word of God for us that helps us get our bearings in the world so we can figure out what's right and wrong. And the, the great thing about the Scriptures is it, it's answered, and we'll talk about this next week, it's answered the three big questions that we need to know. We need to know where we've come from, right? So what's our origin as, a, as human beings? Where does the universe come from? It answers the question, how is everything going to end, right? Where are we headed? It tells us that specifically. And then once we have those two answers, we can figure out the third big question, that is, what's the meaning of life now? What's the significance and purpose of life now? And I'll talk about that more next week. But if we didn't have that, we would be in real trouble. We'd be in real trouble. Think about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Let's say you're in Jerusalem, right, on the day that Jesus is, is crucified. And you see him hanging there amongst the two other thieves. There's probably other people crucified as well on down the road or whatever. But you see there's this big crowd around, right? And here's this guy hanging on a cross. He's got a crown of thorns on his head, right? And he's got a plaque up there that says King of the Jews in three different languages. Right? And, and all you have is your observation of it. You, you look at it and you see it, Okay. Is there any way you're going to actually figure out what's really going on there without revelation, something from the outside? Right? If Jesus had not told the disciples what was happening and why it was happening, they would have really had no clue. No clue whatsoever. Because everything in their tradition had said, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be with us forever. Messiah can't die. And Jesus says, Yes, he can. And yes, he will. But he'll be raised on the third day. And then I'm going to send you out, right? So, so here, this revelation is very, very important. Absolutely important. And if we didn't have that, we, well, there's no reason for us to be in this class. You can just go do whatever you want to do. Because you're not really going to figure anything out, right? Let us eat and drink because tomorrow we die. There's no greater source of knowledge beyond that. And so revelation becomes very, very important. And again, what's happening in our, in our culture, it's, it's been happening since the 60s, and really much longer than that. Uh, but 60s is really where it came from the fore- forefront. Revelation is being rejected as a valid means by which to process all these other things. And, and particularly as theological liberalism, as it began in Germany and France and well, I tell you, what, you look at the history. Well, am I going to say that? Yeah, you look at the history of Germany and France. Lord have mercy. Think about how much chaos those two countries have brought on the world. You know, uh, in the Western age, almost every bad idea that we've had since the 1700s came out of Germany and France, right? And so, theological liberalism just brews in there, and those people tear down the idea of of, of truth. They tear down the idea of God intervening. In the universe, if there's a God, He created everything and He walked away from it hundreds of thousands, millions of years ago. We're just kind of on our own. We're in a watchmaker's universe. Everything's ticking along as it should be. But does God get involved in it? No. So that means Jesus was not God in human flesh, right? Walking amongst us. 
So we can just pull that right out of the Bible, right? That also means that if he's not that, then his miracles weren't really miracles. I was telling uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were doing the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, William Barclay, who wrote the little colored commentary sets, probably a lot of you saw it, really, uh, really significant among uh, Methodists. When I was growing up, somebody had given me a little set of those things. Barclay was as liberal as you could possibly get. Uh, he didn't believe in the incarnation, didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in the ascension, didn't believe in the virgin birth. It, you know, uh, the list of things he didn't believe in was much longer than the things he actually did believe in, right? And I really wish he could have said, I didn't believe in much of anything, right? But he wrote this long commentary. And when he uh, came to describe what was going on with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, he explained it this way. He said, well, what happened was, when the disciples realized they had that little boy that had the loaves and the fish, right? And he brought out his loaves and the fish. Everybody else looked at that kid's generosity. They remembered, uh, uh, remembered their generosity and thought, oh yeah, I forgot, I brought a granola bar and a ham sandwich with me. And so they all brought out their food and shared it with one another. Right? See, if there's, when you reject revelation on that level, then the only step next is insanity. Unsanity. As you know, Irv brought that up a couple of weeks ago. To reject the truth that comes to us through the Scriptures and is specifically focused through Jesus because that defines reality for us in a very big way. And we're going to talk more about this next week. When you reject that, then the only other thing that's left is unsanity. You have to become untethered from reality. And that's what we're seeing now flower in absolutely incredible ways uh, in our culture. You know, we... We, oh gosh, and I mean, it's to me, to me, it's endless, just endless, how this has taken place. We we look at the 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 degeneration of our educational system from the bottom all the way up, and y'all been aware of this, right? Nobody has received a real education in our country unless they provided it for themselves in about the last at least twenty five years, and probably even more than that going on. And 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 why is that? Well. Because the, the laws and the rules and the stipulations of education have now been defined by people who were never educators in the first place. That would be like you bringing your car to me this afternoon and I'll say, oh yeah, I, I can fix it. I don't know anything about a car, right? I'll just pull the whole thing apart and put it back together whichever way I want to see fit, right? See, people are untethered from reality because they make laws and rules and stipulations that they have no basis to know what's actually going on. Right? You know, as Chris said... He's going to, his, his future is going to be dependent on the Senate. Who knows whether they can just come to a simple yes or no answer, right? Uh, we, and, and this is what we've been untethered, right, from reality, and, uh, from revelation, and therefore from reality. And when that happens, then there, there's no shared foundation to even say this is right, this is wrong, this is true, this, this is untrue, right? Now, let, let me just say this. Uh, what does that mean for us? Um, well, what it means for us is we have to be people who live according to the truth. We, we have to be people who not only believe what we say we believe, but we need to put those things in practice. Now, that, that takes us into a whole other realm that I'll t- touch on a little bit next week. Because one of the things that happens is if we believe in this idea of revelation and we're working it out down here in our experience and so forth, uh, one of the things that develops both individually and among our people group, is we develop a set of values and a set of ideas that inform the way we go forward. 
And let me just say, and I'll talk more about this next week because we're getting close to time. Um, if I were to ask you, and this is not a trick question, but it has become a trick question in the last several years. If I were to ask you, what is the paramount value that Jesus teaches? The one value that supersedes and stand up, stands above all others. And it's a value and it's a practice. No. Okay, there we go. Sheila, I hear it. Oh, see, now I knew y'all were the cream of the crop. I knew y'all knew that answer, right? Love, right? Love is the greatest value. And if we want to be like the smart aleck scribes and Pharisees, well, what kind of love are you talking about, Jesus? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there is a second that's its equal. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus adds this on top of it. On this hangs the law and the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament. right? <laughs> the, the Jews in the first century divided the Old Testament into the law and the prophets. What Jesus is saying is those two statements summarize the whole Old Testament. Let me say it this way. If y'all could have done that, we wouldn't have had to write those 39 books. And you wouldn't have the story of those 39 books. If Adam and Eve had loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they would have never eaten the fruit. Right? If they'd put Him first. If they had their desire had been shaped by Him first and foremost. But they weren't. They were shaped by their own desires. Right? Let us reach out and grasp after that thing. Right? And then Jesus even makes it worse. After that, oh Lord, He starts teaching. Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Plain in Luke. And then He says things disastrous like this. I tell you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Really? Is that what we got to be? This is what Francis Schaeffer called the final apologetic. And he made this scathing observation in the 60s. And it's come true, unfortunately. He said this, if Christians lose their ethic of love, we will lose the culture. If we lose our ethic of love, we will lose the culture. And so in the last 20, 30 years, we have seen, uh, unfortunately, the church get embroiled, and I'm talking about the church in general, embroiled in political agendas that we're never going to win, right? Because that whole system is working against us to begin with, right? Uh, <laughs> Laws can never change a human heart. Love can. Right? Love can never... Love is the... In fact, I would say it this way. A good friend of mine says, love is the most powerful force on planet Earth. It can do what no other thing can do, and that is it can change the heart of your enemy. And that's why Jesus teaches it. Right? We're not here to get angry and get mad and upset and go crazy when things don't go our way. We are doing what... Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien called fighting the long defeat. <laughs> right? It looks like we're going to lose. Right? It ha- if you've read the Bible, that is absolutely clear. The story of the Bible is history is going to unfold and it looks like those who follow Jesus lose the whole thing until He appears. But until then, we're fighting the long defeat. And what do we do in that long defeat? Revelation tells us We are to be merciful like our Heavenly Father is merciful. We're to be good like our Heavenly Father is good. We're to love like our Heavenly Father loves. And if we 
do that, people are not only going to see the reality of who Jesus is, they're going to see an alternative to this culture that has become completely captivated by a worldview that is divorced from revelation altogether. And that's why you have the police beating the young man to death in the streets. And that's why you have the revolts over that, which should take place. Right? We have, we have turned into a society of violence and anger and hatred. Right? And we as believers, we are the last line of defense against that. We are the ones that can take what others can't take. And we are the ones that are called to, to, to love in a way that only God does and only Jesus does. And right, that only comes <laughs> from that revelational level up there. Right? You're not going to get it by tradition necessarily. Now, unless you were in a Bible-believing tradition that taught the way of Jesus, right? that one's important. And if we're in a culture that affirms those things, but again... Man, it seems like the tide is against us. But, but the, the hopeful thing uh, as, as, as we move forward and as we think about all these things is I really do believe because of the, the way our culture has become untethered from reality, people are, are being pushed to the place where they want to find answers, where, where, where they need to know that there's something more than what's going on in this crazy, chaotic world. And we as people who follow Jesus and are characterized by peace and love and goodness and mercy and all those things, will be the ones that can lead them back to the truth. But we have to remember what is first and primary and what Jesus taught us to be above all other things. Now, I'll pick up right there next week, y'all. Let me go ahead and turn it over for prayer.